We all have a day that we're looking forward to, a day that promises to give us what we really want. For some people, it's graduation day or the day that they pass the bar exam or a board certification. For some people, it's the day that they get married or the day that they're able to retire and stop working so hard. Professional golfers put in tens of thousands of hours on the driving range and on the course in preparation for the day that they win their first professional tournament. Professional football players put their bodies through the most violent ordeals for the day that they can win the Super Bowl. We all, we all have a day that we are looking forward to, but the real question is, what about the day after that day? Will it have been worth it? Will we be satisfied? I, I think of the famous interview that Tom Brady gave years back on 60 Minutes. I know Ricky's quoted this before, but it was a time when he was at the pinnacle of his success, which kind of still is, honestly. Uh, but uh, he had won three Super Bowls already. And so he was asked about fame. And he said this. He said, maybe a lot of people would think, I reached my goal, my dream. But me, I think there's got to be more than this. And when his interviewer asked him, what's the answer? He said, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. What day are you looking forward to? And will you be really happy when it gets here? Well, in Zephaniah chapter 1, God tells us that there is a day that is coming that should be central in our thoughts and in our hopes. And it's called the day of the Lord. Now, we began our study of Zephaniah last week talking about how this Old Testament book has a basic plot. And the plot is that God is going to sweep away evil from out of Israel, from off of the earth, in order to give his chosen people a safe place for them to worship and to thrive and so that he can delight in them and exalt over them with singing. And I've entitled this sermon series, The Sweeping and Singing God. And we began the series last week by looking at how God, he begins this this prophecy, this book of prophecy with, with great anger. He's angry at his people for their idolatry and entrusting in other false gods. And he threatens to wipe everything off the face of the earth. And now in verse 7, he specifies when that will happen. So we're going to pick up the story uh, here in verse 7. So if you're able, please stand for this reading of God's word. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 7. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. And on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. On that day, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold, those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will be heard from the fish gate, a wail from the second quarter, a loud crash from the hills. Wail, O inhabitants of the mortar, for all the traitors are no more. All who weigh out silver are cut off. 
At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men who are complacent, those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. Their goods shall be plundered, their houses laid waste. Though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink wine from them. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man crowds, cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day. A day of distress and anguish. A day of ruin and devastation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. One of the most consistent themes throughout the Bible is this warning of the coming of the day of the Lord. We see it all throughout the Old Testament, not only here, but in Job, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Joel, Amos, Micah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, and in the New Testament as well. It's sometimes called the last day or the day of, of Jesus Christ. In Matthew, Mark, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, Philippians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Timothy, 2 Peter, and read all the way to Revelation. In other words, if the Bible is God's word, the day of the Lord is a big deal. It gets repeated so often. But the question we need to ask is, what, what is the day of the Lord? What is it? Well, the day of the Lord is the day when God breaks into human history and he makes his presence known and he calls us to account. There's both a negative but also a positive aspect to the day of the Lord, right? And the negative has to do with judgment, right? The day of the the Lord is when the truth comes out, the full truth, nothing but the truth. When all the lies that we tell ourselves and that we tell everyone else get exposed and the secrets of our hearts are laid bare. Zephaniah mainly focuses on the negative aspects of judgment here in the beginning chapters. The early verses of what we read, he says he's going to punish those who've allied themselves with foreign and unbelieving peoples and those who are defined by violence. Verse 12, he says he's going to punish those who don't really believe that he is real, right? He says, he says, those who say the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. That's interesting, isn't it? He's kind of talking about people who may believe that there's a God, but don't think that he can do anything. Basically, functional atheists. He's not going to do good, nor is he going to do ill. He's just quiet and silent. Not so. And then verse 15 gets straight to the point. A day of wrath is that day. A day of distress and anguish. A day of ruin and devastation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. It kind of reads like the beginning of a Stephen King novel, doesn't it? A horror movie. It's going to be dark. And verse 18 reiterates the threat that God made at the very beginning of the book. He says... In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. For a full and sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. Now, why so harsh? Why so negative? Well, it's 
It's because they needed to have their eyes opened. They needed to see what was coming. Right? It is not love to not tell someone when danger is ahead. It's not love to not tell your kids what will happen if they run out in the middle of the road. It's actually loving to warn someone when danger is coming, to tell them. And God is doing that through Zephaniah. But in as much as the day of the Lord will be scary, full of judgment and punishment, it will also be a day of joy and triumph. And this is the, the positive side of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord will be positive because it will be the completion of a project. Have you ever done a big DIY project at your house? Maybe if you're like me, you don't really know how to do it. But a lot of you, I know, do these projects. And when you're finished and you've done a good job, how do you feel? There's a great sense of satisfaction in there. Well, the day of the Lord is when God's purposes for the world will be fulfilled. When all that he had planned will be accomplished, when all the loose threads of our lives will be tied up, and the tapestry of human history will be shown to be a masterpiece of God's providence. Apostle Paul talks about it in Philippians 1. He says that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it at the day of Christ Jesus. Zephaniah 3 is going to talk about those positive aspects of the day of the Lord. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Because one thing that's essential to understand about the day of the Lord is that it's not actually just one day. It will be the final day of human history when the Lord returns to judge the living and the dead. But for the Israelites in Zephaniah's day, there was a more immediate day of the Lord that was coming. And so how was the day of the Lord near for Zephaniah's original audience, the Israelites? He's warning his people about a very specific judgment that was coming. It was the destruction of the holy city of Jerusalem and the exile in Babylon. Now, this is combined, those two events combined, it's one of the four or five most important events in the Old Testament, along with creation and the, the flood and the exile and uh, the building of the temple under, under Solomon. It's that important. And in fact, if you're trying to read through the Old Testament prophets and understand what they're talking about, you will never understand them unless you understand the importance of that event, of the exile in Babylon. And actually, if you've been coming to River Oaks for the last couple months, uh, you know a little bit about this because Ricky was preaching on the book of Daniel. And the book of Daniel is all about the consequences of that event, right? Daniel is, is um, in 586 BC, the nation of Babylon had come and destroyed uh, Jerusalem, destroyed the temple. And then they had taken some of the people, some of the young people especially, and brought them to Babylon to be retrained. And there... Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're all there living in this pagan land, trying to figure out how to be faithful to God. Well, even though Zephaniah comes after Daniel in the Bible, 
He actually lived about a century before Daniel, back in the time when Israel was strong, when it was thriving. And so he is living in this strong time, and he's warning them that this time is coming. There's going to be this massive military attack, and you will be defeated. In a couple of months, we're going to commemorate the 21st anniversary of 9-11, probably the, the defining event of the early 2000s for America. It was, it was then that we realized that nobody is really safe, and, that, and the world changed for a lot of us that day. But I want you to imagine, imagine if Al-Qaeda had gone further. Imagine if they had not just destroyed the Twin Towers and hit the Pentagon, but also destroyed the White House and the Capitol, and then burned the rest of Washington, D.C., and bombed Los Angeles and New York, and then they had defeated our armies and burned down our churches and instituted Sharia law. Imagine. That's essentially kind of what happened. But imagine further if we found out this crucial piece of information, that God had sent Al-Qaeda to do this. And he had done it as part of his plan to discipline and purify his people and give them a fresh start in their fractured relationship with them. What would you think? God did this? Now, understand, I'm not saying that that's what happened in 9-11, right? I don't have any prophecy about why it happened. But that is essentially what happened to Israel in 586 B.C. God sent the nation of Babylon. And this is... It it happened 50 years after Zephaniah prophesied. But here's the thing. It's it's not not like 9-11 because none of us really knew that 9-11 was coming. But everyone in Israel should have known (laughs) that this invasion was coming because the prophets told them all about it, not just Zephaniah, but Isaiah and Jeremiah, Micah, Amos, Hosea, they're all pleading with the people. If you don't repent, God is going to bring judgment on you. In fact, one of my, one of my favorite stories, really interesting, in, in Je- Jeremiah 36, the king of Israel, King Jehoiakim, he's sitting in his winter house and he has this roaring fire going. And his scribe has a scroll. And the scroll is a prophecy from the prophet Jeremiah that Jeremiah had sent to be read to the king. And so the the scribe begins to read the words of the scroll. And the scroll says this, Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land. Babylon's coming. And goes on to talk more and more. And what does King Jehoiakim do? As the scribe reads a couple sentences, he takes that part of the scroll and he takes a knife and he cuts it off and he throws it in the fire. And then the scribe reads the next couple sentences and the king takes his knife, cuts it off, throws it in the fire. They knew it was coming. 
But they were too proud to repent, too proud to change their ways. Now, what about us? The day of the Lord is coming, but it's, it's not that day because the exile's already happened. The New Testament tells us the day of the Lord is near. The Bible often talks about the day of the Lord in very imminent, expectant terms. How, how is the day of the Lord near for us? Well, 500 years after the exile, the apostle Peter wrote this. He said, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The day of the Lord is coming. The last day is the day when Jesus will return and put an end to all things, to end to evil and judge everyone everywhere. And that, not a popular belief, right? That there's a coming judgment day. I feel like the prophet who's standing on the street corner saying, the end is near. That's what the Bible says. It's not popular, but deep down, I think we all know that it's true. There's a BBC show called The Unforgotten, in which a dead body is found in the first episode, and it's, it's found, it's determined to have died 30 years prior. And the police begin an investigation, which eventually leads them to a group of five people that they think were involved And each of these five people has gone in the 30 years since, has gone their own way, right? Has started a a new career, got married, had children. But none of them are surprised when the knock comes at the door. And when they get questioned about their whereabouts 30 years prior. For some of them, it's a huge relief to finally tell the truth of what happened. The day of the Lord is the day when the truth comes out, when, when the lies that we tell ourselves and others get exposed and our deepest secrets get told. But it is also the day when grace will shine through. Like a blazing sun that hits your eyes when you leave a pitch black room. How does that work? How does grace shine through in judgment? I mean, after all, none of us can stand up to the all-knowing eyes of God, can we? The perfect judgment of the Holy One, we've all failed to be as good as He has called us to be. We all have things that we hope nobody knocks on our door and questions us about. Well, grace happens because there is a third day of the Lord. It's not just two, there was a third day of the Lord. And that was also a day of judgment. A day that that sounds a lot like verse 15. A day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, of darkness and gloom, of clouds and thick darkness. That day was Good Friday. The day when Jesus died on the cross to take on the judgment that we deserved. And we're told that darkness covered the earth that day. There were earthquakes. And the curtain in the temple 
that separated the most holy place was torn in two, meaning that we now have access to an intimate relationship, intimate presence with God. But the question remains, will you be ready? Will you be ready for the day of judgment, the day of the Lord? And there are, there are only two outcomes of the final judgment. There is either justice or mercy. And in fact, mercy is a form of justice. Justice you get if you stand before the Lord on your own. You do not want justice. But mercy is given when you place your trust in Jesus. And justice happens because God's wrath was already poured out on Jesus. And so his people are given mercy. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ to be your Savior, to save you from the coming judgment? And knowing that the the day is coming, do you live with an expectation of the end in mind? On Facebook this week, one of our moms posted about an interaction she had with her son. Uh, He had poked a hole in a chair, and uh, she said, son, that's a leather chair. That hole is going to be there forever. And he replied, not forever, mama. Everything will be fixed when Jesus comes back. (laughs) Yes, that's right. That young boy is living in the light of eternity, in light of the last day. Are you? One of my favorite songs, and I know I've, I've quoted this up here before, but it's called After the Last Tear Falls by Andrew Peterson. After the last tear falls, after the last secret's told, after the last bullet tears through flesh and bone, after the last child starves and the last girl walks the boulevard, after the last year that's just too hard, there is love. And after the last disgrace, after the last lie to save some face, after the last brutal jab from a poison tongue, after the last dirty politician, after the last meal down at the mission, after the last lonely night in prison, there is love. And in the end, the end is oceans and oceans of love and love again. We'll see how the tears that have fallen were caught in the palms of the giver of love and the lover of all. And we'll look back on these tears as old tales. Let's pray. Father, the day of judgment is a sign to us that what we do matters and that what we do here on earth is not a game but has eternal consequences. And we thank you that you take life so seriously, uh, that you care about what we do and the choices that we make. We thank you, Father, that even though we could not keep the law, we could not live as you have asked us to live, that you sent Jesus to keep the law for us and to suffer the penalty we deserved. And now as we walk in faith with him, would you give us an eternal perspective in all that we do so that as we think about the joy of eternity and of heaven, 
It would lessen our anxiety and increase our hope and our love for one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.